Welcome. My name is Caleb, and you are listening to the Vitamin C Podcast. If I told you that I had never wanted to record this episode, would you believe me? Maybe after you hear what I have to say, you'll understand why. So long story short, I saw a movie this past weekend, and my thoughts I think are very different than most people's thoughts, but here's the other catch to it, is that a lot of people who disliked this movie had much different reasons for disliking it than I did. And dislike is a very strong word, so I'll get to that in a bit. But here's the thing. My process goes like this. When I want to see a movie, I book a showing for the opening Thursday night, and then I see it, and the very next day, I record my podcast. And every so often, I will see a movie and record that very night. There are a few where I have seen them on Monday or Tuesday nights, but I always try to record within the next 24 hours, and oftentimes, I'm recording within the next 12 hours. However, in this case, I saw Oppenheimer on Thursday night, And so I wasn't able to see Barbie until the night after, Friday night. And I probably would have waited longer to see Barbie normally, but I had a friend who I had not seen in years who had reached out to me and said that they were in town and they're going with a group of people to see Barbie. And I said, you know what? I should go. One, because I wanted to see my friend. That was the top thing. I wanted to see my friend. Two, I was going to see this movie at some point anyway, so I said, well, no time like the present. Might as well go see it Friday night instead of waiting a few more days. And then the other part is that I remembered when I went to see The Little Mermaid and I saw it on opening day and the guy who scanned my ticket was looking at me like I was a creep, like a total predator. I walked into the theater and it was a bunch of little girls and their moms and I was just the only grown man in there that didn't have kids or didn't have friends or a girlfriend, anything. So I looked very funny and I said, never again. And this movie, Barbie in Fairness, is PG-13. I think The Little Mermaid was PG, so it was definitely more towards the little kids. But still, I said, it's going to be a lot of teenage girls, parents with their little girls, and then people my age. And I just don't want to go by myself to see it. So when I got this invite, I said, I got to be there no matter what. And my friend told me that they were all going to wear Barbie themed colors and outfits and things like that. And I said, okay, I've got some pink and I have these shorts that are a blue enough color where you could confuse them for the Barbie blue that you see. And so I had that whole outfit planned out. Then the night came around and when I was about to leave, I was running behind for a number of reasons that I won't talk about, but I was about to leave and I realized that those shorts that I had set aside to wear with this shirt could not be worn because they were so wrinkled, I would have looked like a crazy person wearing them. So I had to quickly pivot to a different outfit that was a nice outfit, but it was certainly not a Barbie-themed outfit. And I said, you know what? It's fine. I bet a bunch of people won't even be wearing pink or wearing these Barbie outfits. I probably won't be the only one. But it wasn't just the group of people I was with were pretty much all in sync. It was also almost everyone else in my entire theater. I was one of the only people that was not dressed for this event. But again, no big deal. So the other part, though, is that this whole group and my friend had gotten their tickets 
before I did, and they got tickets for a Dolby Cinema Theater, which is where I would have watched it anyway, but it was in a different spot in the theater. I said, no big deal. Just about any seat in a Dolby Theater is a good seat. But I got there, and I sat down, and what do you know, my seat did not recline. It was completely dead. It was plugged in, but completely dead, and I had no options because it was a sold-out theater. It was one of the last showtimes of the night. Matter of fact, it was the very last showtime of the night in the Dolby Theater, and I said, well, my friend's going to be here, and I want to see it with my friend, so I'll just stick it out because I thought, you know what? How uncomfortable can it be? This seat's pretty comfortable, right? It's a pretty good view that I have. No big deal. And the thing is about these theaters is that every armchair, you share the middle armrest with the person next to you, which is why it's best to see these movies with people you know, because otherwise you share an armrest with a stranger and typically neither one of you ends up using that middle armrest. But yeah, I had a total stranger walk in and sit next to me and I thought, okay, whatever. It's a sold out theater. So that's just how it goes. But now we're two people sharing a seat that doesn't recline. And I kept thinking, no, it's no big deal. It's comfortable enough. And the movie started. And I kid you not, by the midway point of this movie, my back was hurting so bad that it was unbelievable. I could not get comfortable. On top of that, it was the night after I saw Oppenheimer. And it was hours after I recorded my pod for Oppenheimer. And that was so fresh on my mind, I could not stop thinking about Oppenheimer. So I would be uncomfortable in my seat, and there'd be a scene that was maybe dragging on too long. There are quite a few scenes like that in this movie, in my opinion. I'll talk more about that. But I'd be trying to get comfortable. I'd be kind of bored with the scene, and I'd zone out for a second thinking of a different scene in Oppenheimer, which led me to post this meme on Instagram where there's the picture of the couple in bed, and the woman is thinking... I bet he's thinking about other women and the guy's always thinking about something completely silly, ridiculous, or childish in a way. In this case, I made the meme where it was her thinking he's probably thinking of other women and his thought bubble just had the Oppenheimer poster because yeah, that was me. That was 100% me watching Barbie. And I give you all of this to tell you that I didn't really have a good time watching this movie. As a matter of fact, I could not wait for it to end for the entire last 30 minutes to an hour. And I can't really decide if it was because of the quality of the movie or if it was because of all of those variables that I just laid out. It could be a perfect combination of both. And that's what I'm going to assume is that I was a little bit let down with the movie and I also had a terrible viewing experience. So because of that, a movie I hoped would be great ended up just being pretty good or okay to me, but I had a bad experience watching this okay to pretty good movie, which made it overall a poor viewing experience. But let me talk this out, and maybe I'll be able to get to the bottom of my feelings. So to give you an idea of this movie, it has a simple enough concept. And that is that Margot Robbie plays Barbie, and she is playing stereotypical Barbie because she is exactly what you think of when you think of a Barbie doll. In this world that Margot Robbie's Barbie lives in, there are all kinds of Barbies, and the world they live in is Barbie land, but there are all kinds of Barbies that fill all kinds of roles in society. You have the President Barbie, you have the 
Mermaid Barbie, you have Surfer Barbie, you have Dr. Barbie, Lawyer Barbie, any kind of Barbie, I guarantee they have it in this movie. I mean, even if it doesn't call attention to it, they probably have all those Barbies. But Margot's Barbie is almost at the center of the universe because she is stereotypical Barbie. She's like the OG Barbie. She's what you think of when you think of the Barbie doll. And in this world that she lives in, Barbies reign supreme. And they have a knowledge of the outside world, which I'll talk more about later. But in this world, the Kens are nothing more than an extension of Barbies. They really serve no purpose in society other than to be noticed by Barbie, because that's the whole reason Ken was created in the first place. They created Ken to be Barbie's boyfriend. And so each one of these Kens is in love with a different Barbie, more or less, and they all just live to be noticed by these Barbies. So they don't really have a point in existing outside of that. But each of these Barbies has their own uniqueness, as I said, and they all truly believe that their existence has brought peace and equality to the real world, the outside world. So again, they do have an understanding that Barbie land is not the real world. They have an understanding in some way or another that they are dolls or toys, but their concept of the real world is just not realistic. They don't have an understanding of it at all. But all this changes when Barbie, Margot Robbie's Barbie, starts to experience some strange things. She begins to have thoughts of death. She has cellulite appear, which no other Barbie has. And her heels are touching the ground, which leads to about five-ish minutes of feet shots. I've honestly never seen more feet shots in a movie in my life. And I've seen every single Quentin Tarantino movie. So what made me uncomfortable about these scenes is feet are feet to me. Like they're just, I don't know, they're there. Usually they're kind of gross for me to look at, to be honest. But I know a lot of people love looking at feet. And that's what made me uncomfortable is there are so many feet shots of Margot Robbie's Barbie, who Margot Robbie is a beautiful woman. And I just kept thinking, ugh, there are probably a lot of people in my theater right now that are secretly really enjoying this. And I don't like to think about that, but I could not get that out of my head. I thought, ugh. There are so many sickos in here, and by so many, there could only be like five in the whole theater of 300 people, but five is enough to gross me out. I've just never understood that. But anyway, these changes begin to scare Barbie, and all the other Barbies tell her that she needs to visit Weird Barbie, who is played by Kate McKinnon. And Weird Barbie has a meeting with her and ends up setting Margot Robbie's Barbie onto a journey into the real world where she'll be able to get answers to everything that's happening to her right now. Because Weird Barbie is saying, hey, all the answers you need, you will be able to find in the real world because it's nothing in Barbie land that's causing this. And so Barbie sets off on a journey into the real world. And Ken, who is played by Ryan Gosling, the main Ken, her Barbie's Ken, ends up tagging along and thus sets off the movie. And I kind of thought that would be the plot of the movie, but the way it all plays out is a bit different for sure. And years back, Greta Gerwig and her husband, Noah Baumbach, who wrote this movie, mentioned that The Truman Show was an inspiration for this. And I guess I can see it because they live in a world that is real to them, but it's not the real world. 
But I guess the biggest difference is that everyone in Barbie land is very aware of the real world's existence. They just don't have any idea what it's like. But here's the thing, because I probably made it seem like I really dislike this movie, and that's not necessarily the case. I think it has a good premise, and I think that there are a lot of interesting ideas that could be explored, because here you have Barbie land, you have all these Barbies who think they completely solved equality in the real world, who believe that every girl and woman in the real world is now just happy and thriving because of their existence. And of course, it's going to come crashing down where that's not exactly the case. And for some girls, it's the exact opposite, that they believe that Barbie had a detrimental effect to feminism and womanhood due to creating impossible beauty standards and a number of other things, which I don't know, it kind of goes into, but I never feel it fully explores some of those concepts, some of those gripes about Barbie. I don't feel it ever goes all in to evaluate whether some of those critiques are valid or not. And then you also have the idea of these Kens who really serve no purpose and their entire lives are just built around being noticed by Barbie. And it even says right away, the narrator, who is Helen Mirren in this movie, says right away that Ken's day is only good if Barbie notices him or if Barbie talks to him. And so these Kens, they all have their own specific thing that they do. But again, that's just what they were created for. They don't have any purpose outside of that. And then randomly, there's Alan, who's played by Michael Sarah, And the narrator says, hey, we don't know why Alan was created. And Alan also doesn't know why Alan was created. And it is funny because you couldn't have anyone else play that role other than Michael Sarah. So Michael Sarah plays it well, and it's funny. But he's a character I think they could have done more with, and they didn't. But maybe I'll talk more about that later. So I'll just talk about what worked right away in this film. So I mentioned it's a good enough premise, and it's directed by Greta Gerwig, who I'm not going to pretend for a second I've seen her other movies, okay? So she directed Lady Bird, which is supposed to be very good. And I believe that it's good. I want to make that clear. I believe it's good. And then she directed Little Women, which again, I did not see. I've heard it's great. And I believe it is. It's been on my watch list for a long time. I just have never gotten around to it. So at some point I will, because about six months ago, I discovered Saul Goodman is in that movie. So I got to watch it. But I want that to be clear. I believe she's a good director. And she made a jump from doing those movies with smaller budgets to now doing this movie with a big budget for a big studio. And sometimes what comes with that is the studio pushing for a little bit more commercialism in the movie. And maybe they'll say, hey, make sure you put this in here. A joke like this would be really funny. Hey, maybe if a Barbie made a joke about this, and how about you make a point where the movie says this? And so there are times in this movie where I felt like the way the movie was written and the way it was executed were not always consistent. Like it felt to me that there were messages that they wanted to push that I could hear in the dialogue, but sometimes the actual stuff that went down in the movie would almost contradict some of those themes that were set up through the screenplay. And I don't really know who to blame for that. 
For example, they talk about how Barbie land is just the real world in reverse. And I thought that's kind of extreme because in Barbie land, the Barbies all have their own mansions and they're all best friends. They party every night. They fill every single role in society. None of the Kens work. The Kens just exist to be noticed by the Barbies and the Kens don't even have a house. None of them do. They're all homeless. It never explicitly states they're homeless, but it does at one point bring up, hey, where do the Kens even go when they're not partying with all the Barbies? What do they do at night? They do nothing. They have nowhere to stay. So I thought, okay, that's a little bit extreme, all right? It's not exactly the real world in reverse. But when Ken goes to the real world, he's immediately won over because he feels like he's being noticed by people, which he never really gets noticed in Barbie land. But he becomes obsessed with the idea of patriarchy. And the whole thing is, oh yeah, if you're a man in the real world, you basically run the real world, kind of like Barbie's doing Barbie land. And you can just go do anything you want and get any job you want. And so the next few minutes, you see Ken trying to get every single job and not getting any job because he's a moron and he's completely unqualified. So I thought, well, if you're trying to suggest that that is reality in the real world, that any man could get any job just by walking in, you use the worst possible guy to make this point because Ken was unqualified for every position, could not get any position. And so I thought, okay, unless you're making fun of the concept of the patriarchy, I don't really think you got any message across here. I mean, it made for a funny scene, but I don't really know what they were cooking with that one. But I keep getting distracted because I talked about how there's an interesting premise. I think there's interesting stuff they could do. Some stuff that works is that the costumes, the makeup and all that, there's some really good work done there. I mean, you would kind of expect that in a Barbie movie. The set design and all that is really good in Barbie land. But again, that should be a given, right? I mean, I'll give props. If it gets Academy Awards for that, or at least nominations, then I wouldn't be upset. I would perfectly understand it and probably support it. But I will say that that was probably the easiest thing to get right because there are a million different Barbies that wear a million different types of clothes that you could base the aesthetic off of for this film. And there are Barbie dream houses. There have been a ton of Barbie animated movies. So I feel like the aesthetic that they nail in this was not necessarily hard to execute. I'll give them props for doing it still because I see adaptations all the time, whether it's toy adaptations, comic book adaptations, book to movie adaptations, where they have the blueprint right there and they still get it wrong. So in this case, They had the blueprint and they executed it as well as you possibly could in live action. So props there. The aesthetic in Barbie land was great. And the cinematography looks good in Barbie land. In the real world, it looks like a Buick commercial. I'm saying it straight up. It did not look stylish in any way. It didn't have any visual flavor in the real world. It just looked like Barbie and Ken in their exotic outfits walking around in the real world and it's captured in 4k and so that's awesome and all it looks crisp and clean but yeah there's no visual flavor to it there's no style at all and the way that it's lit the way it's colored the way it's framed it just looks like a buick commercial which funny enough there's actually a scene where barbie meets america ferrera's character and her daughter who is played by ariana greenblatt and she pulls up in a chevy 
and you see the Chevy logo throughout the entire scene. So that played like a Chevy commercial. But all I could think of were all the Buick commercials I've seen. That's like the first car commercial that comes to mind oftentimes for me because their commercials always look pretty nice. But I would say that's how this movie looks when they are in the real world. And in fairness, they are only in the real world for maybe half an hour to 45 minutes of this two-hour movie. So it's not like they spent a ton of time there. Even though I thought they would, they don't. Because I thought this movie would be that they set off on their adventure 20 minutes into the movie, which more or less happens. And then I figured they would spend the next hour in the real world and then they would go back to Barbie land and there would be some third act conflict that they would resolve in about half an hour there. But I would say that by the time they get back to Barbie land, there's a full 45 minutes of movie left. So there's just a bit more time in Barbie land and a bit less time in the real world than I was expecting. Not a bad thing by any means, just different than I was expecting. The only bad thing is just that I think all the visual flavor is in Barbie land and there's not any of that in the real world. Some other strengths to this movie, though, is that you get good performances out of several people. There are a lot of quality actors in this film. At the center, of course, there is Margot Robbie as Barbie. And Margot Robbie, I truly think, is a very talented actress. I think she has real comedic talent as an actress, which you first see in The Wolf of Wall Street. I think that's really the movie where people started to notice her was Wolf of Wall Street, and not just because she's naked in that movie and... Yeah, that's not the only reason people start to notice her. She also has a few scenes that are really quality scenes. There's one specific one where she's hilarious. And then she had done a couple other movies. She ended up being cast in David Ayer's Suicide Squad, which got awful reviews, but it did really well at the box office. And she was at the center of that movie. It was her and Will Smith at the center of that movie. And guess what, man? Everyone still dresses up as Margot Robbie's Suicide Squad, Harley Quinn. Not any other Harley Quinn. They dress up as the one from the 2016 Suicide Squad. Because it's an iconic look. There was even a joke in the movie Hubie Halloween, which came out a few years after Suicide Squad. But in Hubie Halloween, the running joke is that every single girl and their mom is dressed as Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn from the 2016 Suicide Squad because that is how Halloween is every year. There's at least a couple girls every year that I see dressed as Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn from Suicide Squad. But after that movie, the next blockbuster she was in was Birds of Prey, which was another Harley Quinn movie, but nobody saw it. I actually like that one, by the way. And I thought she gave a good performance in that movie. I thought she was really entertaining, but nobody saw it. And the people that saw it were kind of mixed on it. It mostly got good reviews, but not great reviews. And then she was in James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, which made $20 at the box office. Nobody saw it. It got good reviews from all the people that actually saw the movie, but nobody saw it. And so people were starting to wonder if Margot Robbie could really draw anyone at the box office. So that is one thing I'm glad with this movie is that even though I didn't really love it, it did really well at the box office. And I do hate to see Warner Brothers thriving, which this is a WB movie and I can't stand WB. I think they have probably the worst executive in the entire world. And they have been run constantly by just terrible, terrible executives over the last 10 years. The guy they have right now, David Zaslav, is, I think, a bad guy. If nothing else, he is a bad executive. Him and Bob Iger are two of the worst people in all of Hollywood. 
And so I don't really love to see the company do well, but I do love to see a movie like this do well with a director who had mostly done smaller movies doing her first blockbuster with Margot Robbie, whose last few movies had struggled at the box office. I like to see that type of movie succeed. I guess my other beef with the movie is that it released the same weekend as Oppenheimer, and the only reason they did that was as an FU to Christopher Nolan because WB was really bitter about Christopher Nolan leaving them. And so they put their blockbuster movie the same weekend as Nolan's blockbuster movie, and Christopher Nolan was not going to budge, and neither were WB. So you could say they were both being spiteful in some way or another, but I tend to take the side of the filmmaker on this one over the big greedy studio, even though a lot of people like to bend over backwards for multi-billion dollar studios when it's at their convenience. But regardless, it was good to see a Margot Robbie movie do well at the box office, and this one has done really, really well so far. I don't know if it'll crack a billion, but it had a good enough opening weekend where it easily could do that. If nothing else, it's going to have a really solid domestic run, which will turn a really good profit for the studio. And good for Margot Robbie. Maybe she'll be able to pick and choose her projects going forward without studios being cautious about casting her as a lead in a bigger film. But she gives a good performance in this movie. She's largely funny. And there's one moment I'll talk about towards the end of this episode, and it's at the end of the movie. And I think she gives an amazing performance in that scene. But I'll talk about that later. Like I said, you also have Ryan Gosling, who plays Ken. You guys know I love Ryan Gosling. He is one of my favorite actors. I think he is hilarious, both in this movie and in a lot of other movies I've seen. His movie, The Nice Guys with Russell Crowe, is a super underrated comedy. I think he is so funny in that movie. And then he has his film, Lars and the Real Girl, which to this day is one of my favorite Ryan Gosling movies. Even though I love a lot of his movies, that one is easily in my top three. He is so awkward and so funny in that movie. And I think you see some of that type of humor shine through in this movie. And then I enjoy him in La La Land. And I think he's funny in that movie. And he has a great singing voice in that movie, which comes into play in this movie. He has a song that he sings in the third act called I'm Just Ken. And I can't even lie. He crushed that. He crushed that song. And that scene is a pretty entertaining scene as well. So those two leads are the most important characters in the movie. And I think they both give solid performances. And they're both funny throughout the film. But also in the movie, you have Emma Mackey, who plays Barbie. Kate McKinnon, I already mentioned, plays Weird Barbie. You have Hari Neff, who plays Barbie. You have Issa Rae, who plays President Barbie. You have Alexandra Ship, who plays Barbie. And a number of others. Sharon Rooney plays Barbie. Dua Lipa plays Mermaid Barbie. And then you have some of the other Kens. You have Simu Liu, who some may know from Shang-Chi. You have Shudi Gatwa, who is actually the new Doctor on Doctor Who. I don't know if any of his episodes have aired yet, but he was cast as the new Doctor. You have Kingsley Ben-Adir, who I believe is listed as Tall Ken, despite the fact he's only like 6'1", 6'2", so I don't know why he got Tall Ken. And then randomly, there is John Cena, who is the Mermaid Ken. But yeah, it's a stacked cast, and I think every character is decently funny in their own way. But at the heart of the movie, the most important Barbie and Ken are Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling. And then in the real world, you meet a few other characters. 
You meet America Ferreira, who is Gloria, and then her daughter, Ariana Greenblatt, who is Sasha. Sasha, who freaking hates Barbie and the entire idea of Barbie. And Gloria, who is kind of odd, but she really loves Barbie, and Barbie was a huge part of her childhood. And so, yeah, they're both really important characters. And then you have Will Ferrell, who is the CEO of Mattel. And I think Will Ferrell is really funny in this movie as well, in his own Will Ferrell way. But that's the thing. If I were to say anything good about this movie, I would say that it's consistently funny. There are jokes every few seconds in this movie during certain scenes. And I'll say quite a few jokes did not land. There are enough that landed, though, where there were laughs consistently throughout two hours, which a lot of comedies struggle to maintain that because most comedies try to have an emotional moment in the third act. And so the third act typically doesn't have any jokes. And when there are jokes, they feel out of place. But that's not the case here. The movie is able to stay funny throughout, which as a comedy movie... I guess I got to give credit because even if some of the other stuff didn't work, that worked. And that's kind of the most important. It's like if I saw Extraction 2, which was something I did watch, and my takeaway was, well, the plot's not that good, acting's not that good, this and this isn't that good, but the action's really good. And so at the end of the day, yeah, I can give the movie a pass. Even if I disliked everything else about the movie which wasn't the case with Extraction 2. I'm just using that as an example. I liked a lot of things about the movie, but mostly the action. And so if nothing else worked in the movie, it would get a pass because it's an action movie where the action's really good. And in this case, it's a comedy movie. I don't think there were a ton of laugh out loud moments, but it was consistently funny enough where I was exhaling more vigorously through my nose than with other comedies. Now, a downside of this movie is just that I mentioned this earlier. I think with some of these directors that have done small movies, they'll do a big movie for the first time, and there's a lot of studio stink that comes with it. And I'd say this one was mostly able to avoid that, but there are a few jokes in the movie that I just didn't really think made sense, and I think they completely contradicted some of what this movie was trying to say. Because this whole movie is in some way or another about personal empowerment of how these characters don't have to be exactly what they were created to be or exactly what society tries to force them to be. Like these Kens, they don't have to just be Barbie's boyfriend. They have to have some identity outside of that. They have to be somebody outside of that. And the same with these Barbies. They're all created for a specific purpose, but stereotypical Barbie is the one that more than anything struggles because her whole purpose is just to be Barbie. And so there is this thing of self-discovery and being who you want to be and not who society is trying to force you to be, which is a really vanilla message at the end of the day, because a lot of movies have a message like that. I'm not knocking on the message because, yeah, that's a good message to have, but I don't think it was anything incredibly profound despite the fact that they tried to play with slightly more serious themes. Because Noah Baumbach did this in Marriage Story too, where in Marriage Story, Laura Dern has this big rant she goes on. And it's one that I thought, wow, this feels really forced, even though it's well-written and it's well-acted, well-delivered, all that. It feels a little bit forced. It kind of feels like the narrator of the movie is looking right at the camera and just trying to pound an idea into your head of this is exactly what I'm trying to say. 
and it just lacks all subtlety. And hey, subtleties for cowards, I suppose. But I just see other directors and writers get critiqued for lack of subtlety in their movies. And in this case, Noah Baumbach, who I think is a good writer for the record. I think he's a good writer. But he had that moment in Marriage Story where I said, okay, zero subtlety here. And then there's another moment like that in this movie where I said, okay, zero subtlety here. But also, I don't feel the movie complements some of what you're saying in this rant. Like the whole idea of being who you want to be is cool. But then at a point, the Barbies are trying to manipulate the Kens. And some of the stuff is that they have to pretend to like the stuff that all the Kens like, which is stuff that all the guys, all the toxic bros in real life like. Because they're like, oh yeah, tell me you've never seen The Godfather. He's going to make you watch The Godfather and talk through the whole thing. And I thought, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You're telling me that women don't like The Godfather? That it's only toxic bros who like The Godfather? Since when was The Godfather a toxic bro movie? It's considered one of the greatest movies of all time. Like a million directors always rave about that. And they had the same joke about Rocky Three and randomly Zack Snyder's Justice League, which again... That's Warner Brothers being petty. It's a director that made them look really silly and stupid. And so they have to throw that joke out there. And so I just thought, again, you're taking dicks at Rocky Three and The Godfather. You're telling me that there are no women that like those movies, that those are just toxic bro movies. Not that it explicitly states only toxic bros like those movies, but it kind of implies that. And I thought, wow, a whole movie about people breaking free from norms and not being what society wants them to be. And you're reinforcing some of that by saying, oh yeah, these are the bro movies that they'll just talk over that women would never be interested in. Like, really? No woman's interested in The Godfather? considered one of the greatest films in the history of cinema? Well, that's interesting, man. But that's what I mean. And just that there are themes that it tries to push and then some of them are kind of contradicted by random jokes that they make in the movie where I thought, was that joke worth it? Because it kind of undercut what you're saying here. So that's where I say, I don't think it was just my back hurting and having a bad experience viewing it. There are actual critiques I do have about the movie. And for anyone who's complaining that it's propaganda or it's political, anything like that, no, I don't care about that, okay? I expect any movie to have a political message at its heart because art is inherently political. So I never really complain. I only ever have an issue if I feel the message is being prioritized over the story, if it's not being properly interwoven, which I'm not saying is the case here. I'm just saying in general, that would be my only issue is when a movie is political at its center, but they undercut character arcs and things like that just for the sake of pushing a political agenda. Because at that point, it's like, okay, this is just a political ad. It's not a movie anymore. And there aren't a ton I can think of that are like that. And again, it's not even about what the message is. It's just, hey, when I watch a movie, I want to watch a good movie. If that movie has a message in it, a political message then that's totally cool. It's almost expected for me when there's a director with a unique cinematic voice that they would have something like that. But I just prefer that it's done well, is what I'm saying. And so in this case, I would just say that it's not pushing any heavy agendas or anything like that. I'm not one of those people that's upset the movie over that. I just think that there are themes that it tries to have that aren't always complemented by the movie or are at times completely undercut by different moments in the film. Also, 
I feel like Alan's character never gets a proper resolution. He's the one that I said, oh, he's the funny guy, but I feel like he'll have a really nice emotional moment by the end of this. But no, he never really does. Although they randomly have Michael Sarah getting a fight with a bunch of dudes at one part, and he just beats the hell out of everybody. And that was cool. I like seeing Michael Sarah do that. Lastly, the score for this movie is done by Alexander Depla, and it is a very good score. Some may know him as the composer of some of the last few Harry Potter movies, and he also was a composer for Twilight. But I thought the score was good. It wasn't always noticeable because there's a soundtrack to this movie that I didn't entirely love. There were some decent songs for sure. The only song that really resonated was one that was at the very end of the movie, and that's the one I want to talk about that there's a scene between Barbie and another character that I won't mention because it would be a spoiler, but Barbie is having this heart-to-heart conversation. And this is the scene where I said, oh, Margot really brought this movie home because, like I said, I could not wait for this movie to end, and I felt like I was watching scenes go on for a bit too long constantly in that late second act and third act. It felt like every scene was going on a whole minute longer than it needed to. This movie, to me... It was two hours and it felt longer than that. And that's never a good thing. But there's this really beautiful scene where it doesn't have any jokes to undercut it, anything like that. And it's a scene between Barbie and another character. And I'm hearing some music notes come in and I was like, oh, wow, is this the score? Because this is really beautiful. And then I hear the vocals come in and I said, oh, that's Billie Eilish. So yeah, Billie Eilish has, in my opinion, the best song in the movie because it really captures the emotion and the central theme of the movie. It was the first moment where I said, okay, I'm finally feeling this movie as opposed to just watching this movie, because I feel like I was watching an entertaining movie, but it wasn't to me much different than like a girl power version of Free Guy is how it felt for a majority of the film. And by the way, I like Free Guy, so it's not a knock on this movie. But that was just how it felt where I said, this is goofy, it's fun, it's okay. And in Free Guy, I feel the third act does emotionally bring it home. And I would say the same in this one, but it's much, much later that there's this emotional moment. It's in the last few minutes of the movie. And it's a good scene. And I think the song that they use is really beautiful. So I appreciated that. But otherwise, the movie in its entirety didn't necessarily work for me. So that's the thing. I enjoyed it enough. But my whole thing was, that was a decent movie. I didn't think it was a great movie. And it was tough for me to have watched Oppenheimer, which to me was one of the better films I've seen this decade. And then the very next night, see that, have a bad viewing experience, and overall just be a little bit let down, expecting a great movie and getting, at best, a pretty good movie to me. And look, I will probably rewatch it somewhere way down the road under likely better circumstances. And maybe I'll watch it and say, oh, what was I thinking all those years back? This is a great movie. But as of right now, that's where I stand where I thought it was all right. I just didn't really love it. It was entertaining enough. I'm glad I saw it with my friend and it was good to see my friend. So that made it all worth it. But I don't know that I'll be seeing this movie again in theaters. So that's where I stand. But that's going to be it for today. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Next time you hear from me, I will be talking about Disney's Haunted Mansion. And then the episode after, I should be talking about Netflix's new movie, They Clone Tyrone, which is one I still have not watched, but I am really excited to talk about it. It is considered so far to be one of the best Netflix original movies. 
and I love the cast of it. I love the concept of it. So I'm really excited to watch that movie and be able to talk all about it. So if any of those movies sound interesting to you, or if you just find me interesting in general and you are not already, then please give this podcast a follow and also give me a follow on Instagram under the username at vitamin C pod for all updates about this podcast and the movie business in general. But thanks again for tuning in. You guys will hear from me next week.